0: This is Chris Damian, and you're listening to a recorded conversation I had with Scott Hare on Catholicism and conversion therapy. Scott was a member of a Catholic religious community in the early mid-90s while he was trying to figure out how to relate to his attractions to other men. His community referred him for therapy to Joseph Nicolosi, a Catholic clinical psychologist that many today consider to be the father of conversion therapy. In some ways, Nicolosi was able to help Scott find more confidence and needed assertiveness, but even from the beginning, Nicolosi was pushing narratives and positions that didn't really match onto reality. Looking back, Scott now sees how Nicolosi's ideologies prevented the psychologist from fully helping his clients. Scott got to know many of Nicolosi's other clients through group sessions. But of all the other men who went to Nicolosi, Scott said only he and one other former client that he knows still uphold a traditional Christian sexual ethic. For most of his clients, Nicolosi's therapy contributed to a loss of faith and a rejection of traditional Christian teachings on sexuality and marriage. I hope you find our conversation helpful as we try to navigate and untangle the web that was and is the Catholic ex-gay movement. So, Scott, so one of the things we we talked a little bit previously about your experiences and, and we'll kind of come back to this. One of the things I found really interesting mm-hmm. was you'd set, shared that, you know, of all the people that you knew who went to Nicolosi for basically conversion therapy, mm-hmm. you were the only or one of the only people who still affirms what the church has to say about sexuality. You know, <laughs> I, I think I'll, I'll definitely it's... want to come back to that, but maybe just to start us off, could you just share, I guess, the story of how you ended up seeing Nicolosi.
1: Yeah, so I ended up seeing Nicolosi because I was in a monastery that was in Southern California, a conservative, traditional, not, not traditionalist monastery, but a traditional conservative Orthodox monastery. Um, And the monastery had a connection to Nicolosi and also promoted his books and his theories in, in our formation classes and those sorts of things. And so when I, had, I got to a point in my um, formation right after I had taken my simple vows, my first profession, um, I came out to my um, superiors. And they, we talked about different options and everything, and they, one of the options that was presented was going to see, um, Nicolosi for reparative therapy. Um, it was, it it was encouraged, not necessarily they were like, yeah, you have to go, but it was, it was something that was encouraged and... It was more the idea that, um, in order to be a priest, you because I was studying for the priesthood at the time, uh, or that was kind of the goal where I was headed. Um, you needed to have a certain sense of your own masculinity, and and that it was because the the mon- one of the things the monastery advocated was that really only straight men could become priests um, because the they were the only ones who could really sacrifice and 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 embrace celibacy um, fully. I don't. It it was some bizarre. Anyway, I think it's bizarre now. But but um, but anyway. So it was something. So in order to kind of shore up my masculinity um, and also eliminate. And in a certain sense, also eliminate the scandal of having a gay priest or a priest who would say, oh, yeah, I'm gay or I'm homosexual, even though I'm living chastely. um, That that also was, I think, was also part of it as well, so that then I could get to the point where I could say where somebody would be like, oh, well, you're gay. And I would be like, no, I'm not you know, that sort of thing. And, and so, so that was what led me to see, start seeing Nicolosi. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and so before you saw Nicolosi, you said you'd had some exposure to some of his books. Is that right?
1: Yeah. One, they did encourage, uh, well, in our formation classes, they, they basically presented homosexuality in line with his theories, talking about the origin of homosexuality. And then also after I had come out to my superior's, they recommended that I read his books, so they they gave me his uh, a couple of his books to read. The titles of them escape me. I can I can see the 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 um, I can see the covers, but I, I can't remember the titles. But I'd have to look them up. But anyway, yeah, it was like two of them, I think.
0: Yeah, and and so so Nicolosi's theory of homosexuality <laughs> was it was it presented to you as the church's teaching on homosexuality? How is that presented in the context of the monastery?
1: Well, it was basically it. It wasn't necessarily presented in line with the church. There wasn't like saying Nicolosi's. Theories of the origins of homosexuality are the church's teachings, okay. but it basically was presented as kind of like this is the most rational, reasonable explanation we have for homosexuality or the origins of why. And it wasn't even it wasn't even presented like this is one of the theories or this is anything. It was just like this is the theory. And in fact, initially, it wasn't even said. Oh, yeah, Joseph Nicolosi see this is his idea it was just this is how homosexuality comes about and this is what we know and this is it basically and it wasn't um yeah and then later after they had you know said oh you can go see niccolosi and they gave me the books that i was just like oh this is where it comes from kind of thing and okay. so also when i when i this this was right before the catechism came out so the catechism of the catholic church hadn't actually been it was in the works at the time and it was it it was like we knew it was being worked on and stu- you know prepared and all that sort of stuff but it hadn't actually been published and finalized yet at this point it was like about a year maybe right before I went to see Nicolosi that the catechism came out with the with the language that we all are familiar with now.
0: Sure, but, sure. So we're talking kind of like early 90s. Yes. Okay. Mid 90s, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the so you're taught this theory, the catechism comes out and you're seeing Nicolosi. Mm-hmm. So so right. you you talk a little bit about <laughs> kind of this theory that's presented to you. What is the theory?
1: So the ironic thing about this is that in all as in and probably every other aspect of, of psychology and our interior life and all that sort of stuff, um, the monastery would not have embraced anything Freudian. But the whole theory is based on Freud. So it's all based on the idea of the, the boy. And, and Nicolosi's theory is primarily, I should say, primarily centered on male homosexuality. He doesn't really have anything to say about female homosexuality because he said that it's much more complicated because of the way his theory works. So basically the idea is that the boy is born into a family and he, you know, the bond with the mother is very strong at first because obviously, you know, we're mothers carry us in their wombs and, and we bond with them naturally. And so in the process, his idea is that in the process of, of development, psychosexual development, the boy has to, has to um, reject the mother <laughs> in order to, to bond with the father. And, and the mother must push the boy in a certain sense to bond with the father. And anything that kind of interrupts that um, can it basically causes a wound in our, in our psyche, and that wound then can be can one of the results of that wound can be homosexuality, can be being gay. That process can be interrupted by any number of things. Um, he would talk about like an absent father, like if the father is physically absent and there's no other male father figure in the household, or if the father is a narcissist and doesn't want to bond with the father, doesn't either consciously or unconsciously doesn't want to bond with the son, or doesn't is not emotionally available for the son to to bond with him. And there was something else, there was another thing, but those are kind of the two main things that I remember. And then the other thing is, if you have like a strong mother who won't let her son bond with the father, that's another, another problem. Because then, so the idea was that the, the son has to leave the mother, go to the father, and then he can return to the feminine later on at, you know, in a romantic relationship and that sort of thing. And so the idea was that this, this, then the whole idea is that it's reparative therapy because it's a therapy to try to repair the wound. And the whole idea about homosexuality is that you're driven in his idea, in his mind is that you're driven to the, the, the drive to like connect with other men sexually. It's, it's a sign of this wound that's happening and you're trying to repair it in a way that's not healthy, basically. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah, okay. basically the theory.
0: <laughs> OK. Yeah. So, so. so you're, you're presented this theory in the monastery. You kind of have it yeah. confirmed in the books. You realize that from the book, this is where it comes from. And mm-hmm. then you're basically referred to Nicolosi through the monastery. Right. So, yes. so talk to me about what the initial relationship was like with, with Nicolosi. What, what mm-hmm. did you do first? How did you get the introduction to rep- reparative therapy?
1: Well, let me see if I can remember. Um, So a lot of it initially was, you know, talking about family dynamics, talking about um, my father, talking about my past in terms of a lack of like male I I I didn't have a lot of strong male friendships when I was growing up. And so we would talk about that. We would talk about, you know, the the family dynamics with my dad and and those sorts of things. And and then in the process of that he would introduce his theories and you know be like, oh well this is what explains it and this is this sort of thing. And and in terms of uh, uncovering some of those things. And then he would bring in his ideas about how you could repair that, you know, which was by developing um, strong emotionally, emotional, emotional um, or strong intimate non-sexual relationships with other men, basically. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I think in the process, he saw himself as kind of like, a father figure in some ways, like in a professional setting, not necessarily that he, you know, he wasn't doing things. Like you hear stories about other kind of ex-gay therapists or counselors doing things like, you know, like hugging or, or you, know, you know, cuddling with their clients and those sorts of things. He never did anything like that, but he did like encourage that among his, like to find somebody who you could you could cuddle with and do some of those sorts of things with, um, yeah. So, so those were some of the that was kind of the initial part of the the, the reparative therapy that I can remember.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and th- this is all in individual therapy. Is that right?
1: Yes. Okay. Yes, and then about a month into um, my individual sessions, because those continued on for about three years, um, he he told me about a a a group the group therapy a group that he had as well so so i then became a part of a, a group basically a group of other other men who were who were you know doing the same thing and that's where i developed some good friendships through those Mm -hmm.
0: yeah Yeah. and and what was your initial reaction um as you started off this relationship and kind of began learning about these Mm -hmm. theories and hearing from nicolosi
1: yeah so my initial reaction was that this did make some sense it it did resonate with me and it did it did have it 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 it, what i want to say it did um did make sense in terms of my own life in terms of some of my own experiences um I did fit many of the of the stereotypes that he talks about and thinking about it it did it did make sense and initially there was kind of this sense of like um oh gosh yeah somebody somebody kind of gets me and gets where I'm coming from and gets what I've been through and and that sort of thing um, and so yeah, yeah initially I wouldn't say there was a sense of like I get it's not really euphoria that's not the that's not the right word but there was a sense of like of being like wow, I mean somebody who who gets me and kind of um, can can help me make sense of what what has come what what I've been through
0: yeah. Mm-hmm yeah yeah others that I've spoken with have said that especially early in the conversion therapy process, there's just like deep sense of affirmation because it feels like you're being seen for the first time.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. And then not only being seen like by him, but then bringing in the peers, um, bringing in other other men of different ages who were experiencing the same thing and then being seen by them and being able to talk about this openly, because I I didn't have a lot of people that I could talk about it openly. And I couldn't talk about it openly really at the monastery with, I mean, I could talk about it with my superior and maybe a couple other priests, but, but they're really you know, I couldn't talk, I wasn't supposed to talk about it with any of my fellow seminarians or the guys that are in formation. So so that so yeah, so that was really, really um, very affirming. Yeah, that's a very good word for it.
0: yeah, and and what what was the language that was used in mm-hmm. these contexts to talk about like homosexuality? like what what's the the mm-hmm. like linguistic framework that you were being encouraged to use?
1: Um, well, the idea that it's a wound, you know, that, that really underneath, um, we, we are wounded heterosexuals basically, um, Mm -hmm. that, and, and looking back, it does encourage the idea that somehow you, you are less than, you know, as a gay man, as, as somebody who has same-sex attractions, that you are, you are less than until you get to the point where you heal the wound or you heal it as much as you can. Because one thing he did, he never promised that we would be 100%, um, you know, heterosexual. In fact, he would talk about sometimes about how um, you'll never be, you'll never be like they would talk about ever straight, (laughs) you'll never be like an ever straight man. You know, you'll always be, you'll always have this thing, except he would talk about how it would stop being a big H homosexual with a big H and become homosexual with a little H and how you'd be able to like, put it on a shelf somewhere in your, in your mind or whatever. And it wouldn't dominate you. It wouldn't, overwhelm your thoughts or anything like that. And, um, and he would talk about the pattern of acting out, you know, he would use those terms like, oh, well, you act out, you know, you, you engage in sexual behavior in different ways. And he would talk about how everyone has different triggers that, that lead you to do that. And so it's like, okay, well, let's try to figure out what the triggers are. So you can stop the pattern. Um, You can stop the acting out. And And in terms of being a Catholic, you know, that there's something very appealing about that because you, you know, if you do embrace what the church teaches in its fullness, you know, it is seen, acting out is seen as a sin. And therefore, that would be something that you would want to try to, try to break the cycle, at least to get a better understanding of it so that, so that you wouldn't necessarily find yourself in those situations, um, with, without being aware, you know. I guess, I guess, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's easy to find yourself sometimes with, you know, an, an an you know, you become, you get in in a situation like that where you're not aware of of why it's happened, and so there's some, there was something appealing about that, but but that was a lot of a lot of what it was, or or if you know, if, if something happened with somebody, you know, in the group session, if somebody had done something, had acted out, we would, we would discuss it, we would talk about, you know, why it happened. And a lot of times, you know, would get at the root, we try to get to the root of the problem, or what was going on, and that sort of thing. So, yeah,
0: yeah you know, I, I think that there probably would be, you know, a certain portion of Catholics who would who would hear all of this, and, and they would Respond well. This all sounds great. You know what? What's the problem with it? You know, right. I mean, what? Um, right. You know, I mean, where? At, at any point in this process, did you have any concerns or um, kind of like push on any of mm-hmm. these like theories or ideas or see others doing that?
1: Yeah. So not right away when they got into the group sessions, but and and different people would come and go out of the group. So some people get to a point in their therapy where they were ready to leave. And so they would leave the group and some new people would come in. He tried to keep the group kind of small. And I can remember people starting to push back saying, well, I know this particular person who doesn't fit your, you know, who doesn't fit their, they play sports. They're perfectly comfortable in their own skin. They're very masculine. They're, I mean, all of these things that, that didn't fit Nicolosi's um, theory, you know, they have a great relationship with their father. They never had, they never had a bad problem and yet here they are, you know, and like a lot of people who create a system, I think he, 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 it it seemed like he really could not imagine anything that didn't wasn't outside of the system like that he would just kind of dismiss it he would be like oh well there there must be something there you know he just hasn't shown it you know there must be a wound there, there the relationship with his father must really be, you know he's putting on a show because all gay men that's all that they do they just put on a show it's very surfacey, and that's why gay men are so involved in, in, in the arts and in, you know, in the movies, in fashion, and all these stuff because they just want to create this, this, this. Uh, they want to create this, uh, this fake world because because if you're gay, you're living in the false self. You're not living in your true self, and and so, so so I can remember people pushing against that and he just couldn't explain it and it I would I was left thinking well okay I guess at the time I I didn't really stop to examine it too much until after I had already left the monastery and had gotten out away from reparative therapy and started started having meeting some of uh people like that myself um because being in the monastery, my contacts with, with like LGBTQ plus people out, you know, just in the, in the real world was, it was very, it was limit. Well, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't even say limited. I would say it was non-existent (laughs) because I was in formation. And basically I was in the monastery, either in the monastery or I was in Rome and, um, Studying theology, and I didn't have a lot of contact with people, you know, in parishes or outside at that point. Had I, had I persevered and, and been ordained a priest, that would would have changed. But, but the situation I was in at the time, it it, I didn't really have the the chance that some of the other members of the group, who were not in monasteries, you know, had so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of
1: interesting the way you
0: describe Nicolosi's approach and and kind of the ways in which he would kind of dismiss certain experiences. Because one of the things I find interesting about a lot of these conversion therapists, especially in Catholic settings, is I mean, they're trained therapists, they're trained psychologists. And so they have good tools and good clinical methodologies that they can use to really help people. Um, but then at the same time, there's something about these theories that um, in some ways seem to affect their relationship with their clients that, that, in ways that I feel odd, especially as someone who's done a lot of therapy. So when I hear you mm-hmm. say, you know, like clients will come and say, well, like I don't fit into this because of my experience or this person I know doesn't fit because of their experience, you know, rather than hearing the experience and thinking how do we integrate it? there's this kind of like dismissal of the client or i mean other contexts yeah. like to me it seems like gaslighting the client mm-hmm. insisting that like actually you are incorrect in your description of your experience and you will always be incorrect until your description fits in with my theory so you know there seems to me something yeah. that's highly manipulative here but then on the other hand the other thing that i've heard about the, is a lot of these conversion therapists is, is people have gone through them have said yes this was harmful but at the same time, my experience of, of that person was that they were well intentioned. And I think that at, at, at some level, they really genuinely cared for me. You know, I mean, how do you how do you make sense of all of that in, in light of your own experience of, of Nicolosi? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I think I think that describes it quite well, actually. Um, Nicolosi said that he he got involved. He got interested in this kind of work because he had a cousin or something who was gay, and in observing his life, that he was very his cousin was very unhappy or something like that. And at one point, he he said that he had men started coming to him um, with unwanted homosexual attractions, basically. And initially, he didn't really know what to do with it. He said, and then through kind of his own research thinking about like he said that Anna Freud Freud's daughter had done was like the first reparative therapist basically <laughs> and and he started to apply some of these ideas to some of his clients and there there was an alleviation of their sadness or depression or some of them started to date women and started then, you know, moved in that direction where they were then able to feel like they could get married, I guess. Um, And so, so then that kind of expanded um, into his practice at the time when I saw him. And I think, I think his practice even evolved or his ideas even changed after I stopped seeing him. Cause at that, after I stopped seeing him, I, I really didn't pay too much attention to what was what he was talking about a lot so so I'm not entirely sure but I wouldn't be surprised um and so so yeah I think he really did generally care about his clients and he he did and it it, it's it's a weird thing because on the one hand yeah he didn't he did like dismiss dismiss things when people would people would come to him and be like um well, that doesn't fit my experience. But then also at the same time, he would be like, if somebody was just like, I don't really want to do this anymore. He was like, okay, well, that's your choice. And if you want to be gay, go be gay. You know, you, nobody is forcing you to be here. You don't have to stay here. And But he would always say things like, well, if you go to the gay bar or if you if you go to these things, keep your eyes and ears open for what you've learned here and see how how or if it doesn't apply to what you're experiencing there. And so on the one hand he was kind of I don't know it was kind of like he was he he was not allowing his clients freedom while saying that he was giving them freedom. It was it it's it was a very strange thing. I mean, I don't I don't know how to talk about it other than that. So and at the time I was like, oh, OK, well, yeah, I mean, he's saying, OK, yeah, it's it's kind of a he's saying, yeah, you have the free choice to do what you want to do. But at the same time, what I'm saying is really the truth. You know, it's you're not going to find anything that's not going to match with what I'm saying there. And if you do, then it's really not real, basically. You know, yeah, yeah you
0: know, I mean, I, I guess maybe you know, it would be correct to kind of characterize it as, as, as he would kind of subtly communicate, you know, you are welcome to go off and be an incomplete man if you want. Right. You know, is that, yeah. yeah. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I I mean, I don't know. I I think that, you know, some people might hear this and, and say, well, you know, he's exposing people to a theory. He's saying, you know, they're free to like continue with him or not. Uh, and at the same time, you know, part of this is, you know, for some people, when you dig into this stuff, there, there are real wounds that people benefit from processing and working through. So I think some people might hear this and say, you know, what, what really is the harm of this? You know, how, mm-hmm. how, how would you respond uh-huh.
1: to that? Ooh. Yeah, I guess... I guess what comes to mind for me, as I've thought about it, because for me, my time with Nicolosi did not leave me with the same kind of wounds or, or wounds, I guess is a good word, or trauma. That that many other people have experienced by going to ex-gay therapists and rep- and reparative therapists and those sorts of things, um, but I guess I guess the thing is it's not so much as I think about it, it it's not maybe so much that that you know that aspects of the therapy are are not um, are not helpful. Um because there are some things that are helpful. I mean, I mean, there were some things that I learned in terms of how to be assertive and how to express myself and and learning about, you know that the internal conflicts are much more damaging than any external conflict that you'll have and um, and some of those sorts of things. But I think it's because those things the, uh, the therapy is like kind of misplaced, and it's like it's like instead of dealing with with many of the things that cause us harm as humans, or just um, some of the struggles and difficulties that we have as human beings, it's like finding the origin in a in a it's like it's like placing the the blame for some of these things in the wrong place. And it's it's like trying to to fix a problem that really isn't a problem. I mean, it's yeah. like it's like where the 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 damages or where the where the real issue is that you should be dealing with is not where you're looking and not what you're trying to fix. And so, therefore, it it's not it's not that there are aspects of it that that may or may not be helpful to some people, yeah. but it's just that the issue you're trying to 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 work or to work through or work around or whatever, that's not where the problem is. Hmm. And so therefore, if you're trying to fix, it'd be like a surgeon. It's, it's like when people have surgeries on the wrong part of their bodies, (laughs) you know, it's like, okay, so we mismarked the wrong knee. So we did the knee surgery on the, on the knee that is perfectly fine, you know? And it's, it's like, well, you still, now you have an added problem because you have a knee that was healthy and now you fixed it and you still have the bad knee. And so it's like it's like and trying to fix it, it it's like seeing seeing the problems and then seeing the origin or the or what where, what's really the what's really the the issue at, in the wrong place and then you try to fix something that's that doesn't need to be fixed and it ends up making things worse. Yeah, the,
0: the surgery analogy is a really interesting one because you, you, I mean, you mentioned how, you know, people would come to him and they would say, well, I don't have this particular, particular trauma or wound yeah. Yeah. that you say that I have. And he would say, well, no, you just haven't uncovered it yet. So, I mean, if you right. think about it in terms of the surgery analogy, it's almost as if he says that, like, you know, someone comes and says, you know, you say my right leg is hurting, but actually it's my left leg. And he insists, right. no, it's your right leg. You have to have yeah. this surgery the surgery doesn't fix it and then he continues to insist and you spend an entire lifetime trying yeah. to pay for and undergo surgeries on the wrong leg, which ultimately will just destroy the human body. yeah uh, so you you're sent on this yeah, yeah like life of, of distraction that's ultimately destructive of the self um, yeah
1: and and not to mention all the money that people spend um, you know, trying to to fix something that, really doesn't need to be fixed, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So, and,
0: and, and I don't know, I think that, you know, there might be something to say for this, if, if it did work for people um, or if it helped people kind of achieve what they were looking for when they came in originally with therapy or, or what, if, if it actually helped them achieve what Nicolosi seemed to suggest it would. You know but but your experience with the people that you know is that it did not help them achieve that and ultimately yeah. it kind of it's solidified or kind of helped further their ultimate rejection of, of I guess a, a Christian sexual ethic. W- would it yeah. be accurate to say that?
1: Yeah, I mean, not a- I will say that not everyone who was in therapy with me was Christian either. Okay. I mean there were um, there were at least two or three Jewish people. Um, and then um, also, I think everyone else, maybe a couple a couple non like secular, non religious people as well, or not explicitly religious people. Um, also, so but the majority of the people who did come were Christian in one way or another. Yeah, in some aspect. So so yeah. So not not everybody who was there was Christian, but but yeah yeah. But it is true that that being said, it is true that everyone yeah, except for maybe one other person that I knew that wasn't in my group, but I, who was a client of Nicolosi's, who had been in who was in the circles who I had met. Um, yeah, there's only like two of us who still affirm, at least theologically, you know the the teachings of the church, yeah. Or, the, or that kind of traditional Christian sexual ethic. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, everyone who chose a different route from the two of you, you know, they all have unique stories and unique paths. But I mean, right. do you have a sense of how or whether Nicolosi and his work contributed to that ultimate rejection of, mm-hmm. um, or I guess that ultimate affirmation of, of same sex, um, like sex and marriage?
1: yeah um, I my initial thought is that and of course you know you'd have to talk to each person individually because I, I think it trying to like you said like you said but trying to stereotype it I'm afraid I'm gonna if I try to generalize it too much it's going to it's going to not, Apply <laughs> to anybody, but yeah, yeah. Um, no, but great. I I do think that part of it is I, I thinking about it. I think there were probably a couple of things. One was that even though Nicolosi said, "Well, I can't promise you that this is going to happen," or you know, it it basically i think i think his ideas about like i can remember him saying one time well in this business you can never tell the difference between who can't and who won't you know yeah. he's like some people can't some people won't and you don't know who who is who and that sort of like like gaslighting really as you as you put it um i think that just wears on people after a while and and i think after a while you just get frustrated because even though, you know, it's like, why am I spending all this money on something that isn't, isn't changing, you know, or I'm getting like, just like, I get like little glimpses of like, oh yeah. Okay. That woman is somewhat attractive. And then you try to date her and then it, it all falls apart or whatever. And, and it's like, after a while it was like, why am I putting myself through this when obviously this isn't going to change. And then in the and then, in the process of that, then discovering, um, you know, because, because at the time, um, you know, affirmative, th- affirming theology wasn't quite as developed, or, or there, there, there were still, I mean, besides like the Metropolitan Community Church and maybe the UCC, the United Church of Christ, you know, a lot of the other mainline Protestant denominations at the time um, hadn't gotten to the point where they were really affirming or coming or addressing these things in, in strong terms. And even, even at that time, there was still, you know, politically, there were, you know, no ballot initiatives to allow gay marriage legally in any state had had passed by that point, even California was, you know, they, they weren't really affirming of gay marriage legally at at the point they had civil unions and those sorts of things. But, and so, so I think, I, I, I think then th- that idea of like, why am I pushing, putting myself through this? And then coming to kind of, kind of, um, what do I want to say? Um, being exposed to then more affirming theology at the time, I think it becomes kind of a perfect storm that then leads, leads people um, away from the traditional um, Christian sexual ethic. And, and I, I will say that, that for my friends that I do know from that time, I, you know, it, it it was many, many of them, it was, it was an agonizing experience and it wasn't something that they just took lightly in terms of, where they went with their faith, you know. I think, I think for some of them, had they not not embraced, they would have lost their faith completely. I mean, they would have just just gone off and and become completely secular, uh, without any kind of religious affiliation or anything like that. And I, I think in many ways, progressive theology, affirming theology, saved them. Um, for lack of a better word. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. Yeah, it's so, so I don't, it It wasn't something that I, it, I think a lot of people think that, that gay Christians, like affirming gay Christians, side, side A in, you know, whatever term you want to use for it. I think sometimes people who are on a more conservative side, they they get this idea that, that people just, that, They just decide one day, I'm just going to become affirming. I just, I don't really care. And I'm just going to go do this. And, and I find that for most people, that isn't the case. I mean, they, 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 it's, they agonize in a way they, they do study, they read, and they prayerfully come to this position, which, which some people don't agree with, but, but it isn't something I, I don't, I wouldn't say that for most people, it's willy nilly, Maybe for some people it is, but for for other people, I don't I don't think it is. And and the people that I know, I, I wouldn't say that it was something that they just they just did, they took lightly. Yeah. You know? So you said
0: that, you know, for for the people who went through this experience with Nicolosi, reparative therapy, that, you know, there were kind of two rounds that you could kind of imagine, either um, you know, through more, I guess, you know, for lack of a better word, kind of progressive theology, being able mm-hmm. to find a way to hold on to faith or mm-hmm. having kind of a loss of faith altogether. You right. know, so thinking about that kind of pathway to, from reparative therapy to a total loss of faith, you know, what, what do you mm-hmm. see as the connection between the experience of reparative therapy and if ultimately being driven away from, from faith?
1: I think it's, um, well, I think it's a despair And I think, I I think in a way it is because many people would come, you know, many people embrace reparative therapy or ex-gay therapy, ex-gay ministries, because they grow up in churches, they, you know, and in families that are constantly telling them that this is a sin, that this is, um, that God hates you, that, that you need to, if you want to be loved by God, you have to be straight. You have to be, you know, you have to embrace, you have to, um, you have to do this. You have to, otherwise you will go to hell. And, and I think, I think, so they come to Nicolosi, they go to ex-gay ministries with a lot of hope, with a lot of, you know, it's like, you know, initially, like you said, things are very great, because finally, it's somebody who affirms, it's somebody who can who can give me a framework for what I've been going through, and give me a path forward and a path out of it. That seems legitimate, that seems, you know, he's a secular psychologist, so of course, you know, he's not, in Nicolosi's case, you know, he was, he was a secular psychologist, he wasn't affiliated with any religion, he himself was personally Catholic, but he didn't he didn't bring a lot of that into um, into his into the therapy, especially the group therapy. Um, so it wasn't like it was a, a religious-based therapy and that sort of thing. And so it was like, oh, and and so initially, you know, there was some euphoria. You know, it's like a honeymoon period, and then you and then things start to collapse for a lot of people. And the other thing was, like, he could, you know, in terms of, like, like not explain, um, you know, kind of gaslighting the client, but also then when people would ask, well, can you point to somebody who who's had success? It would be, some of it was privacy reasons, but I don't know if that was an excuse or not, but it was very difficult for him to be able to point to anyone, you know, like a former client or anybody who had gone who had been successful at this and even the people who were eventually they ended up leaving their spouses or, or something, you know, and, and so, so that was, that was really difficult. And I think, I think for some people then it's like, well, all the hope that I had and all the, everything I placed on Nicolosi and it's not working, I'm only getting worse. Things are, are, are worse for me. And what's the point. And so, and so for many of those people in the worldview that they had, that they come to now, it may be a little different because there are more affirming churches and all that sort of stuff. But, but at the time it was like, well, it really is true. God does hate me. And Mm -hmm. so if God hates me, I'm not, why, why even try anymore? And so I'm going to just leave. And, and, and they may have some nostalgia for religion they may have you know when they go home to visit their family at christmas they may go to to mass or they may go to a religious service but but other than that it's not something that they're they're particularly interested in or want anything to do with because it's too i think it's too painful and it just is like well you know this isn't this isn't something that is that is helping me to thrive yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's this kind of um, yeah, really dark irony where, you know, a lot of religious groups will send kind of young people into these settings in order yeah. for them to find kind of a greater acceptance of like by themselves and by God yeah. and ultimately something so spiritually destructive. Mm-hmm. But kind of, so kind of moving beyond the, mm-hmm. your experience with, with Nicolosi and repetitive therapy, can you talk to me a little bit about kind of the process of what it was for you to move, move beyond that and, and enter a different space.
1: Yeah. So after I left, uh, I stopped seeing Nicolosi um, when I went to Rome, because I went to Rome to, to pursue theological studies. And then while I was in Rome, there were some things that happened that eventually led to my leaving the monastery and just sort helping me to discern a different, um, path. And so, um, and, and also my superiors, it was mutual discernment, but um, so, uh, so then coming out of that, then it brought me into, you know, like just regular life. And um, the internet then was a thing that I then had access to, which I didn't when I went into the monastery and coming to, to understand gay, discovering kind of the world of gay Christianity of, 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 of Christianity of, of with other gay people and learning about side A and side B, and then also coming to um, kind of uh, coming across the blogs of two, two gay Catholics who were, who were very, comfortable with gay language but at the same time also very affirming of of the church's teaching and both of these men were in in kind of long-term committed relationships with another with another man but that relationship as far as i could tell was in harmony with the church's teachings and those coming across those blogs really kind of blew my mind because I was like, what, how is this possible? <laughs> and, and it really set me on a path where, um, where I could begin to find what I'm still working on this, um, find what was good about being gay and also understanding that the church's teaching did not, um, touch on anything other than my moral, like uh, like in terms of natural theology and the end of sex, how my my attractions for lack of a better word didn't fit within that. But that coming to understand that the church wasn't making any comment on my mental health or my emotional health or my physical health or making any judgments on me as as a man, ultimately, but just as... And also coming to understand that everyone in some way is, is objectively disordered in one way or another, and that it wasn't just that I'm not the only oddball in the world in terms, you know, that I'm not the only one who's objectively disordered and that I don't have to become straight in order to be loved by God and to be accepted by God and to become a saint and, and those sorts of things. Um, I wouldn't say it, it answers all the questions, but, and it, it, you know, but also in terms of coming to understand that a partnership is still possible within the bounds of the church you know it's just as i like to say the church basically says the boundary is that the expression of love within this particular partnership could not be a sexual one and that your expressions of love can be in in a multitude of other ways but that that sexual expression is reserved for marriage the sacrament I think maybe what, what I might be
0: hearing is that, you know, a couple of things, you know, one is that, you know, a big part of what what kind of helped you come out of this was realizing that um, gay people were much more, um, were just very different from what you were led to believe about gay people, I'd say one thing. And then also another thing is that, you know, what, what Christianity and the church have to say about sexuality is much more kind of nuanced um, than, than what you were led to believe. But yeah, you know, maybe yeah. it's just so, so kind of uh, one more question that I have is, you know, looking back, you know, a lot of this stuff does continue, you know, reparative therapy goes on. Um, still today, yeah. it's still, you know, Catholics are still referred to it. Sometimes it goes by another name, you know, I think Joseph Nicolosi's son has a practice where he has, um, he does what he now calls reintegrative therapy. So, so you know right. what? What would yeah. you say to a young person who maybe is 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 just starting to get familiar with some of these theories, finds them very attractive, and and wants to go in and try to pursue the this type of therapy?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, when you say young, how what do you mean by young? Because. So- early twenties maybe, or, early you know, 20s. someone who's
0: 18 and, and now they realize, you know, I can just go pursue this for myself,
1: you know? Right. Right. Well, um, <laughs> maybe it sounds ironic, but I would probably, I would probably say something along the lines of what Joe had said in terms of, because I, I'm, I am a big believer in, in personal freedom. So if, you know, if somebody, if, if somebody says, oh, yeah, I want to go do this, I'm, I, I, I'm not, if they're, if they're an adult, I mean, if they're, if they're not, if they're, if they're past the age of majority, they're not being forced into by their parents or, you know, and, and I say, okay, well, fine. I mean, if you want to go, fine. Um, but here are some things to keep in mind. I think before you go, you should take a look at some of the stories of people who have been through it and you should you should look to see what look look and see what really is is driving the therapist what what is it that their theories are based on i mean i mean think about examine some of those things before you 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 make the final decision to go to see the therapist so that your decision is is fully comes from a place of of being, so you do your, so you do your due diligence, basically, you know, that, that's what I would tell them if they're, if they're hell bent on going, nothing that I say is going to stop that, stop them from going basically. Um, But I would, I would say you just educate yourself before you go, Um, do some research, fine if you know if, talk to if, if, I don't know talk to some other clients or I, I, that probably isn't possible because of the confidentiality but but just in terms of you know do do research on what what's really going on what what's what's behind the therapists what's their what's their um, what's their method all of that sort of stuff so so I think I think that's really important and it, and then if it's also a, a religious person you know I would say I would, especially a catholic i would say why why don't you also look and see what the church really has to say about this you know don't don't it, it, go to the original sources you know don't necessarily take the word of your your parish priest at you know don't take him at his word um or any other priest that you you've read because some of those priests are not don't have the best of motives or they they automatically assume that all gay people are bad. And yeah. so therefore, you know, let's look at the the documents and have a look and see what what the church has to say about it. Um, yeah, yeah and I mean, you, you don't- Before you make those decisions to go. Yeah, and I mean, your
0: advice regarding priests, you know, it doesn't come out of nowhere. <laughs> that comes out of your own experience of, you know, well-meaning religious community sending you into, into experience. So those challenging and for a lot of people, very harmful.
1: Yeah, and I, I would also- I would also encourage someone to look at their own motives as to why, you know, why are they, why do they want to pursue this? What, what, what is it exactly that is driving them to want to make that choice? And is there a better choice or something that would be healthier that they could, they could pursue, or they could think about, because sometimes there really are, there really are issues that need to be dealt with in therapy. I mean, sometimes that really is true, but it's just like, but is this the real cause? Is this the root of what, of what needs to be, be um, what I want to say, be dealt with or be, Mm -hmm. be yeah. In therapy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think I hear what you're saying is, you know, like, you know, we're all on this journey to gain greater self-knowledge and, um and and to grow and develop and and during this process people we rely on we want to make sure that we're actually gaining self-knowledge and are not being placed into boxes that aren't helpful or or that might be harmful
1: exactly yeah yeah Yeah.
0: i hope you found this conversation interesting and helpful you can find
1: more at chrisdamian.substack.com